Welcome, 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 welcome. I recite that from the welcome prayer, which you can find on our website. This is a new year. Maybe it's a good year to use the welcome prayer as a way of spending time with the Lord during this time. I w there was a time in my life when I never, really never, thought it was appropriate to use anyone else's prayers. And then I grew up one day. <laughs> and realized that I did not have all the answers, and I did not have all the language, and I did not know everything, etc., etc., etc. And so many people who have gone before us, who spent a lifetime knowing Christ and knowing his word and laboring over concepts and prayers, and the welcome prayer is one of those prayers. I commend it to you. We might do a show this year on various powerful prayers written by others. We might put them all up online for you. Elizabeth Helliot had a prayer that she prayed, which was Betty Scott Stamps, and then she had written her own prayer. I could think of seven or eight prayers that we could do immediately. And of course, the famous ones, like the prayer of St. Francis of Assis. Anyway, I'm just talking. Maybe we won't do that. Maybe we will. If you're interested, remember the last couple of shows. I hope I've said it the last couple of shows. This is the time for you to send us any ideas. Open to ideas through January 15. A subject. We're always open to ideas, but I'm trying to lay out some weeks ahead in our scheduling, and we'd like to cover any topics that you feel you're in need of discussion about. I certainly don't have all the answers to any of those things. If it's something I need to do to research, I'll be happy to do that. Also, how do you feel about spending some extended period of time in the Sermon on the Mount? I hope that's a yes in some regard, because we're going to talk about the sermon today, as a matter of fact. And I'm going to talk about it rather broadly, but I, I just sat down to my desk one day. I, I probably could even tell you what day it was based on those wonderful computers that record everything. But I, I, I took the Sermon on the Mount. Well, first, let's back up. It's been noted by commentators and historians that Christ gave about five sermons, four of them, a sermon on the plain, okay? Plain as in uh, not hilly, on the plains, P-L-A-I-N-S, plains. And then there was this sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, and that's because of the location that he gave the sermon, and I have to be very careful now because my ability to bunny trail off on the Sermon on the Mount is uh, known and recognized and can be gargantuan. So I, I'm, I'm not going to do that today. I'm, I'm definitely not going to do that today. But the Sermon on the Mount 
which is the sermon I would like for us to pursue, is three chapters long. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's, it's laid out in this amazing way of Christ coming to his Father at his moment of baptism as he comes out of the water and the Spirit says that this is my Son in whom I am well pleased or the Beloved. And then the Spirit leads him immediately from that encounter to a wilderness. I remember the first time I recognized that the Spirit led me to a wilderness. Mark's Gospel says about the same wilderness experience that the Spirit drove. He was driven by the Spirit to this wilderness. So he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, we talked a few times ago about the 40 day experience in the scriptures, so many places of 40 days. And this is included in that when Christ is led into the wilderness for 40 days and he is tempted on all accounts. And he was hungry and fasting and famished. And yet the temptations that the devil tried to tempt him with, he was all able to withstand. And then he begins his work, his ministry. This is the beginning of his three years of ministry, making him somewhere um, in the age of 30 years old. Then he calls his first disciples. Now, who were the disciples? The disciples were the 12, and how he called them and how they were related to each other, the brothers of thunder, the James and the two older brothers, uh, James the son of Zebedee, and then the listing of who they are and how they came to be. And then in the very first words of chapter 5, we see when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them. Now, I think this is a really important piece of the whole sermon because it appears that the people that Jesus was speaking to in his, you know, its content. Uh, I have been asked to speak in hundreds of places around the world in the years that I have been a teacher, a speaker, a platform person, whatever you want to call me. And um, before I go, I know who my audience is. And I have a very close friend who has been a part of a national uh, entity called the National Speakers Association. And they are platform people for corporate life, academic life. And the way they approach um, getting ready to give a message um, that they've been asked to give, a, a lecture, a speech, is that whatever that entity, that, ever, that company is, they make a very serious research. They have research assistants who call up and say, who is Microsoft? And, and they give reams and reams of paper about when it was founded, the key players, what they research, the, all the research 
so that the speech giver can go into major corporation life and make references to that corporation, making a bridge between the speaker who's an outsider and the insiders who are part of the corporation. So I, I think about that sometimes as I go and um, have gone to speak in various audiences. So are they women? Are they men and women? Is it a church group? Is it a mom's group? Uh, is it a small group? Is it a big group? Is it a weekend retreat? Is it two sessions? Is it an all-day Saturday? All of those pieces fit together. And I, I've spent a lot of years being a platform person. So when the Sermon on the Mount starts, I put myself into that because that's what Jesus did. He saw the crowds. He went up to the mountain. And after he sat down... His disciples came to him. His disciples came to him. So some commentators say that the disciples are really only the 12. That the disciples came to him from the big crowd because they could get close to him. He was up. And if you've ever had the great privilege of traveling to the Holy Land, which I have had on several occasions, it is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. There's a plateau, and that plateau looks out at the Sea of Galilee, and then it, it, the plateau is the mountain, so to speak, and then there's this vast uh, land in front of that little plateau where people gathered, you know? It's like a concert on the lawn. I lived in Chicago for many years, and there were concerts on the lakefront. Oh! What delightful times. We lived in the city. We would take public transportation with a picnic basket and a blanket and a pillow, and everyone carried one, and we'd get to the lakefront, and we'd stretch out with our food and our blankets and our pillows. And when we got older, we had cars and chairs and listened to a concert, and the kids would run wild, and we, it was just it was magical. Outdoors in a wide space, there wasn't any amplification. The plateau and the valley led for natural amplification. But it says his disciples came to him. So it could be the 12. It could be the people who had been following him were more than looky-sees. They were people who believed that this teacher, that this teacher was God, that this teacher spoke the truths of the kingdom. But I do know he, his message is given to disciples. And I think about the Sermon on the Mount, and I think about it a lot. It, it was particularly for me a life-changing set of three chapters. The amount of content in these three chapters is staggering to me. And I've said this many times, I have not memorized these three chapters. I have a friend who has memorized them, hasn't taught them, uh, just wanted to memorize them. I, I value, I so value that he took that position to memorize them. I haven't memorized them. But there is so much material in three chapters that it would take months to teach it um, carefully and thoroughly. I sat down recently and just made a, a few notes. It, it's a long discourse, 
and it's the first of the long discourses. And um, some of the most memorable sayings of Jesus Christ are found in these three chapters. The Beatitudes is how he starts out. Um, you memorize the Beatitudes if you went to any church as a child growing up. It didn't matter what denomination it was. There were certain things we memorized. The Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes, Psalm 23. We memorized those. And the Beatitudes is where it begins. Beatitudes are just metaphors inculcating good works uh, wisdom and righteousness, but there are a long list of practical teachings. And maybe as I give you this list and you're thinking about, maybe I will send her an email with something I'd like to talk about. And as I give you this list, if there's something in it that you say, yes, could we teach, could we teach on that one? Self-control. I take sexual expression as a wide category because I, they talk about adultery, they talk, he talks about divorce, he talks about sexual orientation, oaths, do you make an oath or not a your oath, and if you do, what does it look like? He talks about something we talked about last fall, loving your enemies, loving your enemies, even those who despitefully use and persecute you. And then he does a whole section about the parts of practical Christian living, like how do you give donations? Um, how do you pray? When do you pray? How do you fast? These principles, these practices of Christian life, these practices that engage us with Christ in a deeper way. He talks about all of them and gives reference to how important they are. He talks about money, money. He talks about simple living. He talks about frugality. He talks about hoarding. He talks about giving, as I said, almsgiving. Remember the passage when he says, how do you give your alms? Do you run around in town and say, here I am, I'm giving my alms. Everybody knows what you gave. He talks about the wealth and health and of our bodies. He gives us health instructions. He talks about relationships. Who do we have loyalties with? How do we do we worry? Do we over-worry? In chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says three times, I, I used it once as an outline, three times he says, he outlines the chapter and he says three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Be not anxious, be not anxious, be not anxious. I remember coming to that, this is decades ago, thinking, well, if Christ could use the same phrase for three points in an outline, I guess I can, and I did. That's what I did, I taught it. He, he talks about our speech. He talks about the golden rule, which you, the narrow path, the notion of being counterintuitive and how it is. He, he, he enters into traditional Jewish wisdom. And now how is this new portrayal of the modern teacher, Jesus, the sage teacher, now the Messiah and the law? How do they come and merge together? Salt and light, another very famous passage. He, he speaks of salt and light. Just flumming the pages here. I think those are, oh, ask, search, and knock. Oh, yeah, that's, and the golden rule. Did I mention the golden rule? The golden rule is used on so many organizations as a way of setting a target for what they want to do. Fraternity houses, sorority houses, Rotary clubs, the golden rule comes right here out of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So I want to offer this Sermon on the Mount to you as an opportunity to study it together. I'd like to suggest to you that you read it. It's three chapters. It shouldn't take you longer than 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to read it. But to in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount, it's necessary to have the mind of the teacher and the preacher and the knowledge that you can gain from these teachings. But going back to our first time together this year and our new friend, Mimosa, who heard about Jesus once and spent the next 24 years without Bible, without book, without Sermon on the Mount, without teacher, without preacher, without church, but just the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us through this sermon. I want to read to you um, just one paragraph from Oswald Chambers, who is the author of the most famous of his books, My Utmost for His Highest. And this is uh, a thin volume of his and studies on the Sermon on the Mount. If Jesus is a teacher only, then all he can do is tantalize us by erecting a standard we cannot come anywhere near. But if by being born again, it, I, I say by making your first surrender from above, we know him first as Savior. We know that he did not come to teach us only. He came to make us what he teaches we should be. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. I loved that thought. I wrote in my journal and looked at it several days in a row. Is Jesus first my Savior? Hmm. Hmm. If I have made a surrender of my life to him, then I first know him as Savior, not teacher, not great leader, not not all the things that we can say about Jesus Christ, who lived and walked on this earth and was killed on a cross and then was resurrected three days later. Those are just facts that history bears and proves up. Those are the facts about Jesus. But if Jesus is not Savior first to all of us, then reading and understanding the Bible, or especially the Sermon on the Mount, would be just another bondage of things we think we ought to do and how we should do that. Uh, he tells us to pray, pray quietly, and pray in our prayer closet. <laughs> I took that so literally when I was a young woman, I thought, pray in my prayer closet. Well, I know what a closet is. The closet is where my clothes are. And so I went in the closet where my clothes are, and I cleared out a little space for myself to sit on, and I pushed the short clothes above where my head would be, and I had a pile of books, and that was my prayer closet. I look back on that with such fondness, but also with such humor. I, I was so literal about it. And prayer closet is a place to be with Christ in prayer. Christ who I hope is your Savior, and if not, I hope during 2021 you will come to examine the love that Christ has for you and the desire he has to always live with you and be close to you. 
We are Modern Homemakers, and I am Donna Otto, and I commend you today to read the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make a very uncommon day of understanding the words of the Sermon on the Mount.